Hey, get your Bible out and let's do what we do. Jump into uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right there at your seat. 1 Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be. In uh, 1949, an article appeared in the Washington Daily News and the banner headline was the FBI's most wanted named. In fact, uh, here's a picture of that uh, article right there. And, and basically, they, they took the names of the FBI's toughest guys they were looking for and published them to, uh, to their viewers. Well, this became so popular and so well received that the next year, the FBI started publishing their own list the FBI's most wanted list. In fact, uh, still today, you can Google it and you can see who they're looking for even now. But uh, there's a guy that uh, maybe, you, maybe you know him, uh, Thomas James Holden. Ever know that name? Thomas James Holden. Here's his picture right here. Uh, here's something about this fellow. He's, he's, a, he's a bad actor, all right? Uh, but he was the first man to ever appear on the FBI's most wanted list. And uh, he robbed some people. I think he had a murder conviction. He was running around in Oregon. And because of the list, uh, a civilian saw him, turned his name in. He was apprehended, stood trial for his crimes, all right? So the most wanted list are the people that that the FBI is after. Well, when we get into 1 Samuel chapter 23, you're going to find that King David, the man we're studying, is on a most wanted list. In fact, he's number one. If King Saul at the time had someone on his most wanted list, it would have been David. And it wasn't because of he had done anything wrong. In fact, David had done everything right. You say, so why is he being pursued? Well, that's what we're going to learn uh, today in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So let's just dive right on into it, all right? Is that good with you? We'll just go ahead and get into God's word. All right, yeah, that's, that's what we do around here. So let's just do that. Uh, 1 Samuel 23, beginning at verse 15. And this is the word of God, Amen. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out uh, to take his life. Now, just stop right there for just a minute. Uh, ever since David had killed Goliath, which we looked at last week, his life was dramatically changed. He never again would be that obscure little shepherd boy in the backside of the pasture. He was immediately thrust into the limelight. He was an instant celebrity. Uh, he was a hometown hero, and everyone knew him. Uh, the paparazzi were all around him, all right? I mean, everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew every step that he made. In fact, Saul, because David was so successful, put him in charge of a battalion of soldiers, and every, every battle they engaged in, they won. Victory over victory, win over win. I mean, it, David was just the hero. David was the man. In fact, all the women, probably all the available ladies in Israel, thought he was the ultimate bachelor, right? I mean, he was the one everybody was thinking about. In fact, they loved him so much they made a song after him. Guys, they probably did that with you when you were in high school, right? They made a song about you, right? Well, they made a song about David. Uh, we can read it in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his what? Tens of thousands. 
I bet you Saul loved that song, didn't he? Turn that thing off on the radio. Turn that thing off. Yeah, David had killed his tens of thousands. I mean, it's almost like David is in this skyrocketing popularity. And at the same time, Saul is a falling rock. His popularity, his, his influence, his reputation is in the tank. And because of that jealousy, right? Because of that, Saul becomes, King Saul becomes fixated, not on his enemies, not on the Philistines, but on David. <laughs> and, and he's just, he's transfixed with taking out David. I have to kill David. I have to get rid of David. And he, he, his jealousy turns into an obsession. And so he tries on many different occasions. And by the way, from uh, the, the death of Goliath up until chapter 23, and we don't know really how long that gap of time is, but during that time period, there are multiple attempts on David's life. At one point, David was in the, temp, I mean, in the, in the palace with King Saul singing, hoping to soothe him, and uh, Saul becomes overwhelmed with, with a, a demonic spirit and grabs a, 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 a javelin, a spear, and throws it at David to pin him to the wall, All right? That's kind of messed up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a little messed up. And then another time he thought, well, I'll just send him out on these really dangerous missions and I'll let the Philistines do my dirty work for me and he'll die in battle and that'll be great. We'll have a big fel- uh, funeral for him and then he'll be out of my hair. But uh, he just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning. Another time he sent a group of soldiers to David's house in the middle of the night to kill him in his bed. But even then, David was able to evade. He was able to escape. And so now David is on the run. It's like he's a fugitive. He hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, he's been right where God wanted him to be, doing everything he was supposed to do, loyal to King Saul, and yet he is on the run. He's being treated like a criminal and a fugitive. He's on the most wanted list, all right? And so let's look at verse 19. We're going to zero in on a story here in that period of time. Look at verse 19. He's in the area of Ziph, right? And Saul is looking for him. Look at verse 19. And some Ziphites, those are the people who live in Ziph, all right? The Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah and said, David is hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh and the hills of Hakaliah, uh, south of Yoshimon. Now, whenever the king wants to come down, let him come down. Our part will be to hand him over to the king. May you be blessed by the Lord, replied Saul, for you have shown concern for me. Go and check again. Investigate where he goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he is extremely cunning. Investigate all the places where he hides. Then come back to me with accurate information and I will go with you. And if it turns out that he really is in the region, I'll search for him among all the clans of Judah. Now stop right there. So David is a fugitive. He's being hunted down. These Ziphites find out that David is in their region. Uh, They get back to Saul and say, hey, I I think we got him. 
the guy you're looking for, hey, I think we can get him for you, all right? Uh, if you want, we'll go, we'll go bring him, we'll deliver him to you. We'll do that work. Why would they do that? Well, they, they want to be on the king's good side, right? They want to help out the king. We, they know, everyone knows that the king has got David in his crosshairs, and they're gonna, we're going to help you out. We're going to find him. We're going to root him out for you. And so now there's a, there's a search, not only Saul and his men, but now these other groups, these, these folks indigenous to that region are now searching for, everyone's searching for David. Everyone's looking for David. It's like his, his pictures on every pole in the neighborhood, right? Everyone on the lookout for him, the most wanted man in Israel. And David, David's overcome with fear. I mean, you would be too, right? If everyone's looking for you, where do you go? Where do you hide? He's filled with fear. He can't get a good night's sleep. He's always wondering if around every corner he's going to be confronted. Something's going to happen. He could die. This was a very, very dark place. The area of Ziph is a very desolate region. If you wanted to find it on a map, you would go to the Dead Sea and you would go directly west of the Dead Sea into that region. It's a very desolate, dry place and it's filled with caves. I mean, caves are all over the, natural caves are all over the place. You can tell there's no water, there's no vegetation, but these, these caves are everywhere. And so if you wanted to hide, this would be a great place to hide in any one of these caves. It still looks like that uh, today. And David was hiding in the cave. Now the cave represents uh, the lowest place in David's life. Think about it. A cave is a dark place, Right? And being in a cave is a very dark place in your life. Uh, David was in a place of loneliness. He was in a place of isolation. He was in a place of discouragement. He was in a place of despair. And uh, listen, you probably know what that's like. You've probably been in a cave. Listen, I really believe you're either in the cave right now or you're just coming out of the cave or guess what? You're probably going to be in, headed into one. None of us are exempt from those dark seasons of life, those difficult, hard, questioning seasons of life. And so how do, you, how do you get out of your cave? Some of you are in it right now. How do you get out of it? What I want to show you this morning are three postures we can take in the cave. Three postures. In fact, uh, as you're writing these down, you're probably in one of these three today. All right? So let me show you those three postures and how you can move out of the cave when you're in it. Okay, here's the first posture, and that is lying on your back or lying on your back. David was really on his back, so to speak, in this season in his life. It was the lowest point of his life. He felt abandoned. He felt alone. And, and it wasn't like David was really alone. He had some men with him. He had some people that were for him. But he just felt alone. Have you ever been there? You know, like people say, well, we're with you and we love you. And you have a family and you, you have friends. But, but you just feel completely and isolated and alone. And that's really what David was feeling here. He was feeling so discouraged, so alone. You know, it'd be cool if, if we could have found like David's prayer journal, right? How cool would that have been? If we could like find somebody discovered David's prayer journal and you could see really what he was feeling as he's pouring his heart out to God. Oh, wait, I think we have found that. That's called the Psalms. 
right? And, and there are certain Psalms that are actually have a heading that indicate that this Psalm was written when David was in the cave. One of those Psalms is Psalm 142. The heading of this Psalm says a mascal or song of David when he was in the cave. And this is what he writes. See if you can hear his despondency, okay? Psalm 142, verses one through four. He said, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, he knows my way. Along this path I travel. They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. No one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares for me. Pretty, pretty despondent, isn't it? I mean, I'm so dis you can just hear the discouragement. Nobody cares for me. Everywhere I turn, someone's looking for me. There's a trap for me. They're trying to kill me. I'm weak. That's why I say David is lying on his back. I'm speaking, of course, figuratively here, but David is lying on his back, meaning he just doesn't feel like he has the strength to keep moving forward. He doesn't feel like he really has the energy to fight his way through this really dark season of life. And I tell you what, that may be you. You may be in a spot like, man, just to get out of bed today was a huge battle. Just to get to church was such a big deal. Because I feel so discouraged and so despondent. I'm in this black hole and the light just seems to be going out on me. And I don't think that anybody really cares for me. If you're feeling that way, then you're feeling just like David felt in the cave. That's cave thinking. That's when you're lying flat on your back in the cave. Chuck Swindoll uh, tells a story about a pastor that he met after speaking at a conference. And the pastor said to him, I am operating on fumes. I am lonely, hollow, shallow, and enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. Is that you? Do you feel hollow on the inside? Shallow? Just enslaved to your schedule, enslaved in your situation, and you really don't see any way out of it. Maybe you're teetering this morning on the verge of hopelessness. Here is David. He's in this dark cave in this dark place, and he's just pouring out his despondency to the Lord. But there is a little glimmer of hope because this is what he says. I'll just read it to you again. He says, although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. I love that. He said, God... Even though I am so weak, I'm on my back and I don't have energy to move forward, I know that you know my way. You know, a lot of times we think that God doesn't know our way. God doesn't understand, God doesn't see, God doesn't care. We tell that to ourselves, but that's not true. Listen, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, where you are, whatever you're facing, whatever discouragement is suffocating to you, whatever fear is, is staring you in the face, God knows your way. He knows your way. He knows you're here today. He knows you're watching right now. He knows your way. And he is able to move you out of that cave. 
So the first posture we have in the cave is probably the worst one of them all. And that is just flat on your back, helpless. But now David's going to move to another posture. And that is praying on his knees. He's going to get off his back. He's going to crawl up to his knees. Okay. And how does he get to his knees? What is it that helps him move from on his back, despondent, nobody cares about me, to finally getting on his knees again? Well, we're going to see it here in verse 16. Look at verse 16. When Saul's son Jonathan, uh, then Saul's son Jonathan came to David and Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's present presence. And afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. Jonathan is a key figure in David's life. Uh, who is Jonathan? Jonathan was uh, King Saul's son. He was his, his firstborn son, which made him an heir to the throne. He was the rightful heir to the throne, but he was also David's best friend. And he knew that God had put his hand on David. He knew that David was anointed to be king. And so instead of seeing David as an enemy, Jonathan chose to see David as a friend. And you see all the way through the story of David, uh, Jonathan's relationship and Jonathan's loyalty and Jonathan's encouragement to David. So here is David. He's hiding out in the caves, right? Saul, Jonathan's dad, is, is just breathing fire, looking for David, scorched earth, trying to kill him. And, and here comes Jonathan. And he, we don't know how in the world he found him, right? But he finds David and it says there he encouraged him in the Lord. In fact, uh, look at it again. It says in verse, look at verse 16. Uh, see what your version says. In his faith in God is what this version says. He encouraged him in his faith in God. He encouraged him in the Lord. One commentator said it, it, the imagery is taking David's hand and God's hand and putting them together. That, that Jonathan didn't just encourage him. He encouraged him to trust God and to walk with God and to build him up. Now listen, we all need a Jonathan in our life, don't we? Uh, we need friends that will encourage us when we are down and when we're on our back and we have no uh, encouragement or no way to move forward. We need someone that will help us. It reminds me of Proverbs 17, 17 that says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Uh, this is what you call your 2 a.m. friends. Right? The person that you would call at two in the morning, uh, the person that you say, hey, I'm in trouble. Hey, I'll be right there. They'd drop anything they're into. They would drop uh, in a moment's notice. They're going to be there. They're going to be with you. They're the person you call when you have no one else to call. That 2 a.m. friend. Jonathan was like that for David. He was a friend born for a time of adversity, a friend born for a time of need. That's why Ecclesiastes 4 says you need uh, friends. Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one. Why? For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without anyone uh, to lift him up. That's, that's such a profound verse to me. He says, you know what? You're, you're better together. You're better in relationship. And it's a really sad thing when there's no one there to lift you up. Now, 
at the risk of being Captain Obvious, let me just say that uh, if you push everybody away, then you end up what? Being alone. And if you go, well, I, I don't need you in my life, and I don't want you talking to me, and I don't want you talking to me, and I don't, I don't need you in my life. If you end up pushing everyone away, then you find yourself in a very precarious, lonely place where no one is there to pick you up. When you fall, you're alone. And God didn't create that, you to be alone. God didn't create you for that. And so Jonathan comes to David and David feels alone and Jonathan comes to encourage him. By the way, let me just warn you that uh, sometimes when you're, when you're in the cave, you don't want people around you, right? I don't want to talk to so-and-so. I don't want any, I don't want to, you know, anybody to talk to me. I, I, don't, I just want to be alone. You, you want to be alone, but you don't really want to be alone, right? What you need is someone that will just kind of not hear you say get away and will just sit there with you. You know, when, when you read this verse, it's easy to say, man, I need a Jonathan. That's what I need. I need someone. I need a friend, right? I need someone that will encourage me. God, bring me somebody to encourage me. And listen, we all need that. Is that true? We all need that? But guess what? You also need to be a Jonathan. You need to be a Jonathan. You need to be the person that goes to someone and encourages them and, 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 and moves them toward the Lord Jesus, who do you know that's discouraged right now? Who do you know that's in pain right now? Who do you know that's isolated right now? Go to them. Be the Jonathan. I, I was told our girls growing up, the best way to, to get a friend is to be a friend, right? And the best way to have someone pouring into your life is for you to pour into somebody else's life. And maybe God's put you where you are. And maybe right now God's put somebody on your mind this moment that you need to go to this afternoon. And say, listen, I just want you to know I love you and I care about you. And I want to be a good friend to you. Now, you might say, well, whoa, pastor. Man, that's what pastors are for, right? <laughs> that's what pastors are for, man. That's what counselors are for. I'm not qualified for that. I don't know what I would say to that person. I don't know how I would encourage them. I, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can be a friend. And you know what to say. No, I don't. Yeah, you do, because I'm about to tell you. All right? Well, just look, at what, just look at what Jonathan did. There are two things that Jonathan did, and these two things you can do to encourage somebody else. First one, he just reminded him of what God had already told David. He reminded him of God's promises. He said, you will be king. You will be king. God has ordained you. It's gonna happen. I know it, you know it, Saul knows it. You will be king, David. Don't ever forget that God has promised this to you. You know what? This book is filled with a whole bunch of promises. A whole lot of great promises. And one of the best things you can do as a friend is just remind people of God's promises. You go, well, I'm not really a preacher. I don't know that I could, you know, I don't want, I don't want to go preachy at them. Well, that's okay. Just text them a verse. Hey, I was thinking about you. This great promise is for you today. They're, the promises of God are new every morning. They're fresh every morning. And they awaken the soul they awaken the soul. So remind them of the promises of God. They don't need your words. They need God's word. They don't need your promises. They need God's promises. And that's what will renew them again in their heart. So the first thing he did was remind him of God's promise. Second thing Jonathan did was just said, I'm with you. I'm with you, David. 
You're going to be king. I'm going to be your right-hand guy. It's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, man. It's Batman and Robin. We're going to do this together, man. We're going to go. We're going to lead. This is what God has for us. And, and he promised him that his loyalty and his encouragement and his presence with him. Sometimes people just need you to say, you know what? We're going to walk through this together. We're going to get through this together. I'm going to come under this load with you. I'm going to shoulder it with you until you get your strength back. And then when I'm weak, you'll do the same thing for me. And that's what Jonathan did. He encouraged David. He reminded him of the promises of God. He pledged his loyalty to him. They made a covenant, a promise together. It's interesting to note that this was the last conversation that David ever had with Jonathan. Neither one of them knew it. But the next time we see Jonathan, he's on a battlefield and he will die with his brothers and with his father. He will never really be with David leading together like they had hoped. And it's just a good reminder to me of the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life. And listen, if God puts somebody on your heart, go to them then. If right now God is putting somebody on your mind, go now, go speak to them now. I've learned the hard way. And listen, I can tell you story after story of times when God would put somebody on my heart. I think, well, you know, I'll get around to that later and then turn to find out they passed away. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you were telling me then to go, then to, to move. And I've learned now, uh, you know, Lord, if you put somebody in my heart, I need to go, all right? Because you just don't know if that may be the last conversation you have. So here is Jonathan. He's encouraging him uh, in the Lord. And look at the result. We can see David starting to kind of come alive. We see it mostly in another psalm. Write this down, Psalm 57. Psalm 57, the heading says, when he fled before Saul in the cave. So this is another one of those cave psalms. And this is what he, we read, Psalm 57, verse 1 and 2. He said, be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I will call to the Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I love that. He's like, you can, you can start to see him being reminded, okay, God, I'm calling out to you now. He's not flat on his back. He's crawled up onto his knees. He's like, God, I'm calling out to you. You're the most high God, and you're the God who fulfills your purpose for my life. All right, maybe he's not so despondent anymore. Maybe he's being reminded, yeah, God's gonna do it. God's gonna fulfill his purpose. No one can stop that. Even though Saul is breathing down his neck, trying to kill him, no crazy king can stop what God has ordained. Now listen to me, I want you to hear me very carefully because uh, this may be for you today. No man, no person, no human being can thwart the purposes of God in your life. You understand that? I mean, you may think, well, you know, I thought that God was gonna do this, but then this person didn't do that or that job didn't open up or that, that uh, opening to that college didn't go or whatever the case may be. And so those people are gonna keep God from doing what God promised in my life. Eh, wrong. How do you, eh, right? Uh, no, God is sovereign. You know what the word sovereign means? 
in charge. The word reign is in the word sovereign. He rules, he reigns, he's in control. No human being is gonna get in the way of God. And no human being can thwart the purposes of God for your life. What God has begun, he will complete. What God wills, he will perform. What God is, has etched in your heart, he will bring to pass. And you can trust him. And David was coming to this awareness. That, All right, God, I'm, I'm under the shelter of your wing. I, I love that picture, by the way. Like a little mother hen, you know, pulls her chicks. God, I'm just coming under your shelter. I'm trusting you. You're going to fulfill your purpose for my life. Then you keep reading in Psalm 57, and you see it even more. In verse 7, he says, my heart is confident. Listen to that. God, my heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up to the dawn. You just hear him now. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will praise you among the nations. For Listen, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. All of a sudden now, it's like his, his faith is growing, right? He's like, God, I'm now confident. I, I believe you're going to do it, God. I don't see how right now. I don't know the way that you're going to make this happen, but I'm confident, God, in your promise, and I just want to praise you. Wake up! <laughs> Wake up, heart! You know, sometimes you got to talk to yourself. You know that? It's okay to talk to yourself. Now you start to answer yourself, I don't know. You know? But, but here David's talking to himself. Wake up, man! Wake up and pray! Wake up and sing! Wake up and realize that God's faithful love is as high as the heavens and you can never measure God's love for you. Gosh, I just love that. Here's David flat on his back, so to speak. Nobody's here, nobody cares about me. And just a little encouragement, man. And, and all of a sudden, he crawls up to his knees and now he's saying, Lord, you're under, I'm under your shelter. I'm confident, God, that you're gonna do it. You're gonna fulfill it, God. I wanna praise you again. Let me ask you. Are you on your knees? Is your confidence growing in the Lord or dissipating? Are you surging in your faith or becoming more and more faithless? Listen, you, your spirit comes alive when you're on your knees. You understand that? Your spirit comes alive again. And sometimes you just need to crawl off your back and roll over up onto your knees and say, God, renew my spirit again. Renew my heart again, Lord. Renew it again. Well, look at this last posture. And now he's going to be standing on his feet. He was laying on his back, lying on his back. Then he moves to praying on his knees, now standing on his feet. And uh, if you continue reading on the story, I'm going to kind of summarize it for you. Uh, he hears that these... Um, this uh, people group is looking for him, right? And uh, the Ziphites are looking for him. And so he moves south to a hill called Meon. And so now he's hiding in the hill country of Meon. And, and Saul uh, and the people get word that they're now closing in. And so here is David, and, and it seems like he's being now surrounded. And like a noose, it's just beginning to close in on David. And they think that it, he, there's no way now he's going to get out. We've got a perimeter now. We've got him trapped. There's no way he's going to escape. And they're squeezing in on David. And it seems like he has met his last. And then all of a sudden, a messenger comes galloping 
going up to King Saul and gives him a message that the Philistines are attacking some of their main cities. And so Saul has to go, oh, he got to go deal with that. So he pulls everybody off the search for David and heads back to the city in order to defeat the Philistines. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, let's just take a vote. We're doing an interpretation by voting today. How many of you think that was just a coincidence that this message came? Anybody? All right, got one person that thinks it's a coincidence. How many of you think it's the providence of God? Uh, that, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll just take that as a, uh, as a consensus. Yes, it's the providence of God. God. God freed him. God made a way for David uh, to be saved, right? To escape. In fact, they call this place uh, Sila Hamalakoth, which means the place of escape. And here's David now on his feet. Now he's encouraged. God has intervened in such a way. Now he has great confidence. And now he is moving forward in faith. Listen, if you're in a cave, you need to remember something. God never brings you to nothing unless he does it for something, all right? God doesn't bring you to nothing except he does it for something. In other words, he, he, is, he has purpose in what he brings into your life. He has meaning for what he brings into your life. You're going through a dark cave. You're going through a dark despondent place. You're feeling isolated. He's teaching you how to crawl on your knees. He's teaching you how to renew your spirit in him. He's teaching you the importance of encouragement that you have received. Now you can give to others. He's teaching you to grow in your faith. Isn't that what James said? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. See, David wasn't fit to lead until he had been in the cave. It was in the cave that he learned these things. Isn't it interesting? Every time God uh, crafts a leader, he always takes him into these wilderness places. Think about Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, right? Learning to survive, learning to hear God's voice before he was fit to lead. Think about uh, John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness in preparation before he could be a voice crying out in the wilderness to make a way for the Lord. Uh, think about uh, King, uh, think about uh, the Apostle Paul, right? After his conversion, he spent time in the Arabian desert seeking the Lord, preparing his heart. Think about the Lord Jesus even in, in the wilderness uh, temptations before he begins his public ministry. Now even King David, he's in a dark place, he's in a cave it's not to punish David, it's to prepare David for the good work he has for him. And you see David maturing. I see it in Psalm 34, verse 1. Listen to what David writes. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Isn't that great? Now he's, now he's mature. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I've been in the cave, man. I know what that's like. I've crawled on my knees. I know what that's like. I've stood on my feet and, and, and trusted God. I know what that's like. In all these circumstances, I will bless the Lord. Asham, do you, um, can you do that? Can you bless the Lord at all times? Maybe you're here today and you say, Craig, man, honestly, I'm just laying, I'm flat on my back, man. I just feel really despondent, really depressed, really afraid, really alone, really isolated. Maybe you're, you're on your knees and you're praying for God to renew your strength. Maybe you're on your feet, but you're, 
it's feeble, right? You're just barely on your feet because you know, you've, t- you've gone through a battle. But you're not alone. A thousand years after David, there was another man who people were searching for him. He was a hunted man. He had a bounty on his head. People were seeking his life. And he was on his knees. And in a garden called Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Lord, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he stood to his feet and shouldered his cross and went to Calvary. And at Calvary, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. He surrendered his life for you. Why did he do that? Because it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that puts us in the cave. It's sin that holds us back from really walking and living the life that God has purposed for us. And Jesus died on the cross, conquering sin and death, taking on your punishment in your place, dying your death. He was buried, rose again on the third day, and he now offers hope to those that are in the cave. The only way out of your cave is through Jesus. The only way out of your cave to renew your heart, to renew your your fellowship with God, to renew your purpose, to renew your strength is when you turn to Jesus. In fact, Jesus gives us this great invitation in Matthew 11, verse 28. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you're weary and you're burdened today. Come to Jesus. Maybe you're in a cave. Come to Jesus. Maybe you're on your knees. Come to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. You say, Craig, what does that even mean, come to Jesus? It means in simple faith to cry out to him just like David did and say, Lord, I can't make it on my own. Lord, I need you. For some of you, for the very first time, you need to say, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and change me. For others of you, maybe you're already a Christian. You've already given your life to Christ, but you're in a really dark place right now. And you need to say, Lord, please, bring me out of the cave. Lord, give me refresh my hope, renew my confidence, remind me of your promises. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, we come to you now. We need you. Only you can restore our soul. Only you can refresh us again. Only you can make us right with with God. So Lord, we come Only you can settle our soul. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are struggling today. I pray for those in the cave today. I pray for those that are weak in their faith today. I pray for those that are questioning today that they would set their eyes on you, Jesus, our hope and our peace, and that you would remind us of your unfailing love that cannot be measured. Pray this in Christ's name.